Welcome to episode three of The Grown Ups Are Talking. This episode is all about careers, big dreams, the job hunt, and all that nonsense. And the reason I thought that this episode topic is so important when thinking about adulthood is, at least for me, no matter how old I am, I don't think I will really feel like an adult unless I'm financially independent and have a full time big girl career. I think that your job makes up a huge part of your identity as an adult. My guests today have had their various struggles with the job hunt process, whether it's the reality for so many that is sending in hundreds of job applications to no avail and receiving no feedback whatsoever, or choosing to sacrifice your childhood dreams by prioritising your financial stability. I'll hand it over to them to introduce themselves. Hi everyone, I'm Ainsley. Um, I'm from Columbus, Ohio originally and I'm calling in from New York City. Hi everyone, I'm Clara, I'm from London, England, um, and I'm calling in from Cambridge, actually, because that's where my boyfriend lives. <laughs> Hello, I'm Madeline, I'm from Greencastle, Pennsylvania, and I'm calling in right now from Columbia in Manhattan. I think it's interesting to discuss this with you guys because we're all roughly the same age, but we're all at very different stages of our career. Um, so maybe it would be helpful to go around and kind of give a brief summary of where we're at and maybe what we did in the past that brought us here. Um, okay, so yes, I'm old as fuck, but I'm in uni still. Um, and I took a gap year before university because I really wanted space and time to just work for a bit and be out in the world and then travel and do something kind of wildly different with my life. Um, and then I started at college in the US. Um, and there it's four years rather than three years. So that's part of the reason I'm still at uni. Um, but also the system here is so different that I will still be in college for a while longer as I'll be going to graduate school to get a law degree after working for a few years beforehand. Um, so that's me. That's my career trajectory, at least for now. Yeah, thanks, Abby. That's a very good overview. I, I love hearing your story every time because you've done so many things in such a short period of time. Um, but for me personally, so I'm still in school. I'm in my last semester of college right now. So the final semester of four years, um, I have signed an offer when I graduate. So I'll be going into management consulting for probably around two years is the plan. And then I do plan to go back to graduate school and probably get a PhD after those two years. Cool. So I um, did my undergrad and that was three years and I graduated from that um, in 2022. Um, and then I worked for a year in the Isle of Man um, in management consultancy. Um, and then I've moved over to London, um, working at the same company um, in consultancy still, but a more specialised role. Um, and I've also currently just started a part time master's in law, um, which will be just over two years. And that's alongside um, my full time job. All right. So I just graduated from Columbia in May uh, after four years, and I decided to go into my master's degree as the job market wasn't working out particularly well for me. And I signed for my first ever internship for this next summer. Okay, this is great. And I want to get into the weeds a little bit more later about 
you know, the recruiting process for you two, the job market that you mentioned, Madeline, that kind of thing. Um, before we get there, though, I want to kind of take us on a little journey <laughs> and think about what we saw for ourselves growing up. And if any of you guys felt that you had some sort of big dream um, or I feel like we enter university thinking that our life will go some sort of way and we have these huge aspirations of being a lead actress in some film. Um, but then you go through college and you're surrounded by people who are doing recruiting and that sort of thing and reality hits and maybe you put aside your dreams. Have you had that experience at all? I don't think so because I don't think I ever had like a big dream like that going into college. I think going into college, I knew what I was interested in. I knew I liked like the social sciences and the humanities. I knew I didn't want to do something in STEM. I didn't want to be a doctor. I didn't want to be a lawyer. So I sort of knew what I did and did not like. But because I was majoring in a subject and have and I'm still majoring in a subject that doesn't lead to a set career path, I actually didn't know what I wanted to do. So for me, like when I first came to NYU, I joined a consulting club sort of accidentally because um, it was a nonprofit consultancy and I just wanted to do nonprofit work. Um, and that really opened up the field of consulting to me. I learned that it was a career path that you could do. Um, and I think for a while I was very set on that. It seemed like a very safe way to have a job that's well-paying, be stable financially, be an adult, right, in the sense of the word. And then I think recently, um, as I've sort of gotten disillusioned with that long term, it's not what I'm most passionate about. I have sort of returned to my dream if I have one or my passion at least of academia. And I think that's why I do see myself sort of returning to a PhD and trying to go the more academic route after college. But it's not that I like left this dream, it's more that I had to sort of confirm that I actually want to go the academic route um, by working in like a normal job to, sh to see if like that was a path for me or if I really need to stay in the academy. Yeah, and so for me, I think I have always had quite a strong dream growing up. Well, I've had a few. Um, so I always really wanted to be a barrister because um, my dad's a barrister. It's like a type of lawyer. I don't know if it's called something different in America. And I always just um, saw how passionate he was about his work. And I always thought it was really interesting and met his friends who were barristers. And they were, you know, I've never kind of met people who are all so passionate about their career. Um, and it seemed like something that's really interesting and like impactful on people's lives in the real world and just something really fascinating that I always thought really suited me then I heard about like how competitive law was and so I also tried out for some other kind of grad jobs um, and as it happened I happened to get offered a role in consulting at a really good company um, and then I thought you know although this isn't like what I envisioned doing I also thought that I've always wanted a job which is challenging, um, offers good progression, hopefully well-paying, um, involves some element of like working with people um, or, you know, doing kind of speeches, presentations, that kind of thing. But then I have decided to kind of, you know, see if I can potentially pursue that law path in future, like using the things that I'm learning and consulting right now, um, because I feel like I don't want to give up on that childhood dream. Um, and I feel like I want to at least try it, you know, and and see and see if it's for me but yeah I feel like there's no need to give up on, on the childhood dream yet so that's the plan in the future like a good few years down the line. Yeah I have this very strong childhood memory of being in I think elementary school and we had to do a drawing of what we envisioned our future job to be and I drew a scientist very abstract didn't know what type of scientist but I entered college 
kind of with those same aspirations. And I went towards the track of conservation research. And I would say I never had any super ambition, ambitious plans with that because that wasn't really an environment that I grew up in. I'm from more of a low income background. There's not very many people where I grew up who have like very impressive careers. <laughs> so I think I was one of the rare students who never changed their major throughout undergrad. And I graduated with a degree in environmental biology, but in the second semester of my senior year, I realized, oh my God, I don't even like research. So I switched into wanting to do a more corporate role working within the built environment. And that is what drove me to do the master's degree in environmental engineering after speaking pretty extensively with my thesis mentor who I did my research with originally. Wow, I love how everyone has such different paths to where they're at right now. Also, really quickly, how do you draw a scientist? Is this just like a regular person <laughs> with glasses or like <laughs> goggles? <laughs> surely. Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. No, she definitely had a lab coat <laughs> and glasses, even though I have perfect vision. <laughs> just nerds need glasses, right? Um, I could talk a little bit about my experience. Um, I always knew that I wanted to study English literature at university. That was never a doubt for me. I didn't ever really know what I wanted to do with it. Um, but law was never something that I'd dreamed of or thought about. I didn't really know anything about it. I didn't have any lawyers in the family. I think I envisioned myself as maybe some sort of writer or doing something creative. Or um, I remember entering university just like having decided that I was going to be a theatre director like that was absolutely what I was going to do with my life um and yeah and then I think I just moved through university and realized that I didn't want to just pigeonhole myself like that and I feel like I do have a lot of interests and I could in reality do anything and I think that something I love about studying English literature is that it's so versatile um but I think that the problem with dreams is that it's, or at least for me, I've changed my mind so many times about what I want to do in life. I think the reason I feel so good about doing law is because there still feels like there's so much space to explore what I'm interested in. But the thing is, like, it's kind of weird to say that you want to study English literature, especially like growing up in a brown family. Like, that's not really a thing. All my aunts and uncles would be like, so what are you going to do? And they would actually ask me, like, will you go into law? And I would always say, no, I'm going to be some sort of broke writer on the streets. Um, <laughs> but the reality of that is that it takes a lot of privilege to be able to think that you could do something like that. And I think I was probably very naive to think that way. And maybe it's still in the cards for me. But now I'm just becoming an adult and realizing that as much as I liked the romantic vision of not caring about money and just pursuing my passions like unabashedly I'm realizing that I do want stability I want to be able to support my family if I need to and I don't really feel like I have that sort of privilege to just like lax around and do whatever I want to do and be creative um so it's kind of dark it doesn't <laughs> didn't mean it to be but I think adulthood kind of does 
I don't know. The priority is not doing the craziest thing or whatever is my biggest dream. But my priority now is is different. Hmm. I was talking about this, something similar to this last night, actually, about how like how important it is to be stable financially, like after graduation, right? And then my friends and I were just all saying that we're looking forward to this, not so that we can spend a ton of money on Michelin star restaurants and kind of just throw money around. That's not why we're trying to get, you know, decently paying jobs, but because then again, we can afford to do things like flying out to surprise our family for their birthday, um, you know, buying a friend a nice gift for a holiday, having a nice apartment where, you know, we have plants and decent dishware. And I do think it is one of those things where when I was a freshman and sophomore in college, I thought a lot less about the realities of like how much money I make impacting my lifestyle and even like the day-to-day things. Like, do I have two forks or do I have 10 forks? Um, And I think that as I'm getting closer and closer to graduation, the fact that like making money is not a selfish thing or a thing that I'm just doing because I'm greedy, but that it's actually an important part of like being an adult and being able to like live a lifestyle that I'm proud of and where I'm a good friend to people and a good family member to people is becoming very clear to me. And I think that sort of helps wash away that romanticism of like the starving artist. Um, and you sort of realize that that's not sustainable unless you have someone subsidizing you, essentially. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting what you say about money, because um, personally, I've never considered myself like particularly driven by money, but I've been, you know, very fortunate to grow up um, in a kind of relatively privileged background and, you know, like go to really good private schools and always you know, my parents were always really supportive, um, getting me like music lessons, or like, if I ever wanted to pursue anything, like they would always be able to support me doing that. And I was very, very lucky to have that growing up. And so something that I'm thinking now, um, when I grow up, and when I start to have my own family, I want to be able to provide those same kind of opportunities for my kids. And, and also to be able to then support my parents when they get older. So then it's like, money's not like a a thing that you want you know to be greedy but it's like I just feel like I owe it to my parents and like my future kids because I know you know how much easier it makes one's life and like how kind of lucky I've been in that respect and I just want to you know like be able to support my family in the same way that they've supported me. I think um, maybe given my background those realities of money hit me a bit sooner it was mostly in high school where I realized that I didn't want to have to live the way that my parents lived um, when I was younger. And originally I had actually considered applying to art school because I was a nationally recognized artist in high school, but I, <laughs> I wanted something. <laughs> but I wanted something. Yeah, <laughs> I love just whipping that out is like a fun fact. <laughs> but fun I fact. thought STEM was more stable. And there's this prevalent idea in, I think, general society that STEM is the stable choice. And even though I did graduate in a degree with STEM, I didn't have a job. But so we're still working on the money aspect, but it is a harsh reality that I think everyone learns, but people learn at maybe different paces. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that we're all somewhat justifying a a desire to make money. I feel like 
people tend to perceive those who want to enter the corporate world negatively even though that's what like pretty much everyone is trying to do um and label them as like sellouts and I remember hearing someone hearing a friend recently say that she wanted to do medicine and she was like I obviously don't want to be a corporate sellout like really shitting on that phrase um but then that struck me as like there is an immense amount of privilege for you to be able to like condemn wanting to make money as being as a selling out I think people who have never grown up financially that well off or that comfortable will never perceive making money as a negative thing especially for me as a first generation student like my parents have put everything they've worked their entire lives for they've invested it all their time and money and effort into us so that we could have a successful career and so if I'm just like pissing about after I graduate and just writing um, some novel that no one will read <laughs> like that's really devastating for my parents I'd like, read it Abby yeah, three readers at least I'll have three I'll have three readers <laughs> <laughs> But it, sure. it's just affecting so many more people beyond myself and it would just be so disappointing for them and, and it's like they've worked their whole lives for what? They've worked their whole lives, like you said, Clara, to set us up to make sure that we're financially stable. So I would feel like I'm disappointing them and I'm not able to give back what they've sacrificed for me, which is a lot. Um, so part of why I want to make mm. money is, you know, to be able to take care of my parents in the future and that's a really, really important thing for me. Um, the other thing I was thinking about, and I wonder what you all think about this, is if you are a creative person, and we've talked about like needing to have stability, but at the same time, we are young adults. And if we get roped into a corporate world, for example, we're not going to really find it easy to get out of it. Like I know people who are just jobless and it's difficult but you have to ride it out until you find something in the industry that you want to be in um how do you how do you feel about that do you think it's it's kind of impossible to to go about your career that way do you think that if you don't do something creative now you never will I think for me having worked so I've just um I've been working full-time for almost two years now um and I think what I've found is that I'm actually still I still have lots of opportunity to like pursue my creative stuff in my free time. So um, music is like a big passion of mine. And um, there's a couple of orchestras that I play in pretty regularly. Um, I do singing um, gigs with choirs and uh, events and things um, every couple of weeks or so. Um, I'm also doing some kind of, you know, in my free time, like writing a couple of articles, like I edited an academic book for a, a friend of mine um, and, you know, doing things like this podcast, um, that kind of thing. And like even reading lots of books and like discussing it with my other like literary friends and that kind of thing. I feel like I do still manage to really feed my creativity. And I think personally, I feel at the moment that I've achieved a really nice balance of feeling like. I do lots of creative things in my everyday life, but my creativity is something that I enjoy and like do for fun rather than, you know, if you were a kind of freelance creative, I think there would be a lot of stress and pressure on that creativity, which, you know, might take away from it. So for me, I feel like, you know, working full time in the corporate life then enables you to have your creative pursuits as like something that's really just for you and something that you just enjoy, you know. 
when I do the calculations of the hours that I put in during the week for undergrad specifically, it came out to about like 60 to 70 spent either in class doing homework or working a part-time job. So I'm really looking forward to having a more basic 40-hour work week and engaging more with my hobbies in the way that Clara was describing. I am personally feeling that pressure though to of what if I can't escape this corporate world. I do want to do some traveling or some small conservation project because that's still my passion and I still love sustainability and animal conservation, but it's not the best career path for me personally. So I'm trying to find this point where I would be able to exit a corporate moment in my life to take maybe a year or two to commit to those goals. But I mean, like we've said, what's the reality of that? Is it realistic? Really, who's to say at this point? Yeah, I agree with um, a lot of what you guys are saying. And I think it is nice to have a stable career and also be able to have your passions as hobbies. But I think the thing that worries me about that is sometimes I wonder if if I go along that route and pursue a corporate career and continue to dance and you know do my podcast in my free time will I just become a cog in the corporate machine like will I be nothing special and I'll just be doing my hobbies on the side would I rather commit completely to doing something that's very uniquely me and that no one else can replicate Um, for example whether that be this particular podcast like if I made it a full-time thing um and I think I'll always have this fear at the back of my mind that's like I could do something interesting I could do something different with my life um and am I always just going to be prioritizing stability and security over something that would be really wild and crazy and wacky um and I want to do something wild and crazy and wacky but at the same time the reality of being an adult means that you have to look after yourself and you have to look after your family I think this is a very values-based type of type of question, right? Like what is important to you? Is notoriety important? Is close friendships important? Family, stability? I think this is an answer of like what's right for you, like doing the podcast versus going to law school depends so heavily on what you want to prioritize and what you value. Um, mm-hmm. I know people that are very comfortable like being like starving academics, right? Doing philosophy and like barely paying their rent and, you know, eating like ramen noodles every day. And for them, it's worth that sacrifice because they love what they're doing. For me, I wouldn't be happy doing that, right? Like I like having, you know, three solid meals a day and money to occasionally go out with friends. Um, And so I think this is a big question of like what's important to you. And if you can answer that question first, I think your question, Abby, about like, well, what do I do? Am I sacrificing this part of me? If you are understanding that your choices are based in your values, I think it's easier to understand that like you're not giving up that part of you. You're simply picking a different part of you that you've decided is the part that you want to emphasize. Yeah, that's really interesting that you say that because I was actually thinking about this a lot um, kind of recently, like, well, a couple of months ago. Um, So the friend of mine um, for who I edited the um, academic book that I mentioned, she um, has this amazing um, kind of portfolio career. Like she does, I think she has a a number of PhDs um, and she does like academic writing 
then as one does yeah no she's incredibly impressive um but yeah and she does like academic writing um she also has just started this like kind of documentary series where she interviews people um and she um writes like articles like journalism type stuff she also teaches like she lectures um and I was just seeing, you know, the kind of things she gets up to. And I was just thinking the other day, I was like, wow, people, like, people actually um, do have careers just actually doing what they love and what they're interested in. And this sounds like so ridiculous. But for me, I'd always thought, you know, in a career, you want something um, that, as Ainsley was saying, you know, kind of fulfills your values. And I thought, you know, if you, you want to do something like challenging, um, that you like the people you work with, you enjoy, it pays the bills you're learning something and you're progressing. But then beyond that, you know, the minutiae of what you do, maybe not so important, but then it did kind of strike me the other day. I was like, wow, like people actually have careers that they are really doing their passion every single day. And I was thinking that would be amazing, you know? And it seems like, obviously, you know, it's, it's very hard to kind of build a successful career doing stuff like that, but it kind of just struck me that it is possible. And it seems to me that that would be the dream. Right now, I've been trying to figure out my values. I don't know if it's because the master's degree brought it out. Like, wow, I'm actually entering my real adult period of my life. And I'm exploring it in a way that is almost haunting. Like, wow, what do I really value out of my life? Like, how am I spending my time? It's a little bit existential, but journaling helps <laughs> journaling um, is great <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> no, but that's like a really good point because Ainsley you articulated really well the fact that it comes down to your values at the end of the day um but you might not know what you prioritize and what you value the most because you care about multiple things and like you said Clara it's incredible to be able to just wholeheartedly commit to whatever your absolute passion is but at the same time a lot of us struggle with knowing what our absolute utmost passion is especially if you have multiple interests like I know we all do like I love to dance but will I commit full-time to being a professional dancer like I don't think so because there are also a lot of things a lot of other things that feed me and feed my spirit and soul so I think it's hard to know what my dream career would be because there are things that there are various things I love to do I love to read I love to write I love to dance I love to make podcasts I love to do all sorts of random stuff what is the ideal career that incorporates all of those things and also incorporates all of the values I have which is like to be able to live a comfortable life and to go out with friends but also have savings and look after my parents like what what is something that would incorporate all of those different things and that's really hard to figure out and I think I really don't know yet and I'm hoping that time will help me with that and help me figure out those things um but I do want to pose the question to you guys. What what would a successful career look like? What do you think that you prioritize or value? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing that I would say to your answer, Abby, because I think that you explained that very well. Like, how do we even find a career that actually 
fits us is that I've started thinking about this. I know there's like this famous dating advice, right? That your partner should not be everything to you. They should not complete you. They should not be, you know, your best friend and everything. They should just be like a person that you really care about. And I think your career should sort of be that way too, right? It shouldn't be something that like is this whole thing to you and it's perfect. I don't think that exists for most people. Maybe it does for a handful, but I think the reality is like, we're all very complex people. The fact that our job alone, especially if we're working for a company or working in an institution that's not like self-run, is going to be like us, I think is very small. Um, but I think for me, and actually this was inspired also, like Clara said, by seeing someone who just seems so passionate in their career. I have two mentors at NYU that are both professors in sociology that just live, breathe, and eat what they do. Um, I get emails from them at 1 a.m., about, about like the stuff that we're reading for class and it's like student consciousness comments on our books that we're reading and seeing someone who like that is what they love doing that they're you know choosing to send that email at 1am because they're so excited because they're staying up late reading Nietzsche and sociological theory is such an amazing experience to have um I think for me I've realized like the career of what I know of now right because maybe I'll discover new careers as I like, enter the field and start working um would be something in academia I think I really enjoy getting to share my knowledge with people and getting to hear the knowledge of others. Um, I really enjoy environments that push me um, where I'm being tested, right? And so I think that being in an environment where I can be really rigorous, um, do projects that are my own interests, get to talk to people and interview people for research means and sort of have this very social element to my work, um, while also being surrounded with people that are equally excited about what they're doing is like, to me, the dream career. Mm. Yeah, and so for me, in terms of um, what a successful career would look like, um, I think for me, it's so kind of, I think whatever path I end up going down, whether I, you know, pursue becoming a barrister, or if I end up staying in consultancy, um, whatever I do, I want to feel challenged every day. I want to feel challenged. I want to feel like I'm learning. I want to look back on my career and, you know, reflect on how much I've learned. I want to develop expertise um, and I think that's something that really attracts me about law specifically because it has that kind of academic element and I I really want to feel that I have expertise in an area and some real kind of value to give. I think especially coming as a graduate, um, you know, as a like junior and a graduate in the role that I'm in currently, you feel like, you know, I feel like I'm learning a lot, which is really good, but I feel like I don't have that expertise. Um, by any means. And that is something that I will feel successful when I feel like I've really developed expertise. Um, And another thing is I want to have an impact. And this is something that really appeals to me about law, Um, you know, especially being a barrister or even being a judge one day, potential (laughs) progression barrister. Um, Big dreams, yeah. But, you know, you're part of making the law. Like, um, well, in the UK, um, so you have judicial precedent, it literally makes the law. And if you're a barrister or a judge, you're, you're part of making the law, which is, you know, so impactful and, you know, just amazing. Like, I think it's impactful on people's individual lives. But I think to have some tangible impact on the real world, you know, um, would be what I would consider uh, a success for me. I'm also definitely pursuing a way to have an impact. I chose to go into this more corporate route because I felt that research wasn't the place to really make a huge impact. I think the impact comes rather from the people who are making the decisions. 
about how we're going to approach sustainability. And I think my final goal in my career, 30 or so years down the line, is to be a sustainability director for, I don't know, some company. I also think that a successful career for me means being a leader. It's something that I can see myself doing and feeling fulfilled. Yeah, I think for me, the fact that I struggle so much with knowing what I want to value, what what I value or what I want to prioritize indicates to me that maybe I want to do multiple things. And I think I see myself not dipping my toes, but I think I see myself juggling a lot throughout my life. Um, I think that I will be simultaneously writing and doing creative things like content creation for example maybe if that's what podcasting is and if this continues to be a part of my life um but also some sort of research or some sort of corporate job like I think that I will in the future be doing multiple things at one go because I think the kind of personality I am I I'm just so excited about so many different things (laughs) and I don't think I could I, I really respect and admire those people that can really delve deeply into one thing and that becomes their identity I think the mere fact that I went to the U.S. for my education kind of reflects that part of my personality. Like, while I do love English literature so much, I couldn't study just that. I wanted to take Spanish conversation and creative writing and dance classes and history classes and all sorts of random things. Sociology, exactly. I just have such a love of learning that maybe I'll do whatever enables me to learn as much as I can learn um, and grow as much as I can grow. I think that that would be a successful career for me. Um, Okay, I want to revisit something that we brought up at the beginning of our conversation, which was some of the challenges and obstacles in finding the careers that we have right now or or trying to find a future career. Ah, the grad scheme application process. (laughs) What a joy. Um, So for those who haven't experienced the grad scheme application process, it typically involves loads of stages, including all sorts of things like a video interview where you're just filming yourself and it cuts off after 30 seconds and you can't re-record it. So I've had ones of those where I messed it up and then like swore or something and then it just sends it to the company. That was the first one I ever did. And I was like, oh God, like can never apply to them again. Um, Anyway, so make sure (laughs) you don't swear. Um, But yeah, and and there's so many stages of the process and then they phone you and you have a 10 minute conversation on the phone. And then only when you go past sort of eight stages, do you get to finally speak to a person at a company and have a a kind of proper interview, Um, which I found, I found it really difficult and demoralizing because so they don't give you any feedback. And so there are lots of um, training contract, like law um, applications that I did and some other grad scheme applications too. Um, that I found it very, very difficult um, not receiving any feedback because it's like you put in the amount of hours that you would put into, you know, one of your coursework essays for uni and then you just don't even hear back and you just get rejected and then you don't even know how to improve. And so I feel like I've actually never experienced anything so demoralizing because in in past scenarios where I've failed, 
it's always been a really valuable learning experience, you know, because if I've like failed or messed something up, I learn from it. And then the next time I'm able to completely change my approach, like adapt and really, you know, learn from my mistakes. Whereas with these grad schemes, it's like, I don't know why I'm getting rejected, you know? And it was like, I don't know, is my, you know, do I need to like do more work experience or do I need to, um, you know, simply write a more compelling letter? Like do it in my cover letter, do I need to include more facts about the company? Like I just had no idea that I've <laughs> found very, very difficult. But then I think the positive side of it is that um, having switched jobs, like after my first job, it's the job hunt gets much easier after that first I think it's just you know when you break through that first kind of graduate recruitment process and you get your first role which you will eventually you know then when you're applying as a um like sort of experienced worker and you actually just sort of write a cover letter and send a cv and then you get to talk to an actual person you know and you don't just or if you get rejected then you'll at least get some feedback um you know, so I think it definitely gets easier after that first graduate recruitment. Um, and also, I because coming from, um, so I went to Durham University, which is like, you know, everyone's applying for those same, like, classic, like, kind of top um, grad jobs. And so, you know, I'm in an atmosphere where everyone's applying for these jobs. So um, you kind of, you know, you get support, like, you can talk about it with your friends, you can, like, prepare together and stuff, and even then, it feels almost impossible, so I can't even imagine how, you know, people from a background where it's not the norm to be applying for that, these jobs, like, it, it must be even more difficult, and I think it is a real problem with the system, actually. Um, so, yeah, that's my two pence. <laughs> that sounds even worse than in the United States. Didn't know that it could be worse, but apparently it is. So that's like getting through that. And I'm glad that your recent job switch has been a bit better. Um, I would say like for me, so I didn't recruit for full-time work um, as a senior in college. I actually got my internship in consulting at a large firm um, during my second year of college, interned between my second and third year, got a return offer in, in turn between my third and fourth year, got a return offer that I signed in August. And so I'll be starting next August or it's coming August, I suppose, um, in consulting. So for me, it's been very smooth. I haven't actually recruited in, I mean, I guess, yeah, like two years now. So for me, maybe it's just that it's removed for me. Um, but I think to your point about like being in a, an environment where everyone's going for these top jobs, like NYU is absolutely that way. And particularly like when I was looking at getting these jobs in consulting, I was, I'm in a business club at NYU, which is full of people from our Stern School of Business. So it's a lot of people that are laser focused on working in basically banking and particularly investment banking or in consulting at like one of five firms in each industry, right? Um, and so you are surrounded by people that know the timelines, that know about how to do coffee chats and like how to send a proper email and when applications open, right? Um, and who you need to talk to, to like who's on the recruiting team for that company so that they will like you so they'll pull for your application when it's submitted. There's people that know these things. And as you mentioned, it's still so hard to get a job. Um, it is one of those things where I do feel like this is a huge gap for most people because most people aren't in that kind of crazy competitive New York City, you know, elite prestigious school environment. And it also starts so early, right? So like, I think 
what I know from talking to people on recruiting teams at in finance and consulting is that in the US, like it's harder to get a full-time offer typically um, than it is to get an internship offer. I think in finance, it's a bit different, but certainly in consulting. And you start recruiting like the summer of your sophomore year, right? You start recruiting so far ahead that if you decide as a junior or senior that you might want to do finance or consulting, you, you find that out, you're so behind everyone. They've already gotten their internship offers. They've already had a polished resume. They've done business clubs. They've done other internships at smaller firms. How do you ever catch up with that, right? And I think there is this like such a set path that people as early as freshman year know what they're doing when they graduate. And I think while that might give some people that you know happen to be very set on their path, like some sort of safety and security, I think it disadvantages people that have less resources because of course they're not gonna know freshman year of college that this is a path. And it also gets you really locked into a certain career path, right? Like I had a hard time where I was like, I can't not do consulting. I have a good job at a really good firm. Like it pays well, it's a stable job. You know, I, I can't turn this down. Like that is such a, a point of privilege to say, oh, I don't want to do this. But it also like did make me kind of stop thinking about other career paths. And I think that's a very dangerous place to be in college because you want to be exploring things. You want to be applying to, you know, 10 firms and kind of making a decision as to where you go. Um, and not either begging for them to read your resume and interview you with a real person or just like giving up on it altogether because you decided as a sophomore what you're doing when you graduate, right? So I guess that's my long-winded way of, of answering that. You know, that's my experience with the process and sort of the pros and cons of the different schemes. Yeah, the engineering process is a bit different. I've heard so many horror stories from finance and consulting people since that's such a big part of um, like the job search at Columbia. And I had a lot of situations like that where the employer doesn't even take the time to respond after maybe even doing two rounds of interviews. It's extremely frustrating. And so I was going through that when I was in my second semester senior year. And then I decided to do the master's. And it was like, these secrets of the world were given to me. I started a professional development part of my master's program and I was given a career advisor. And these are things that should definitely be included in the undergraduate curriculum, but were not. I was told how to create a great resume, how to create a cover letter, how to conduct myself in interviews and communicate in the workplace. And I think the only reason that I actually got my, well, definitely the only reason that I got my internship was because my career officer had a contact at the company that I will be working for. And she matched me with this person who has a similar background of doing ecology and undergrad and then doing engineering as a master's and in a career and it was this perfect fit but I never would have gotten that if I'm not investing a hundred thousand dollars into my master's degree now because there's not enough career resources for undergraduates it kind of feels like a pyramid scheme in a way <laughs> Okay, I'm going to add my two cents, not because this will be helpful for that many people, because I'm aware that I'm speaking to a minority. As an international student, the job search is so incredibly difficult for everyone, no matter where you are. Um, but if you choose to 
be an international student, you don't necessarily think of the implications of that decision later down the line. Like you think that it's going to be an exciting thing in the moment to study abroad or to be somewhere different. And then you don't realize that coming back to your home country is difficult because you don't know necessarily what the processes are like. Like I don't know anything about the grad scheme that Clara was talking about. And also I've kind of fallen in love with New York now and I want to stay here. Um, But then there's all sorts of challenges with that too, because you have to worry about a visa and there are all these things that you don't know that you don't know. So it's really, really difficult. And then especially if you're if you don't have people who've done it before, if you don't have parents who've been in this situation before and you're really struggling to figure it out on your own, the job search just becomes that much more difficult and it can be really stressful and it does have a huge impact on people's mental health. So I'm, I'm glad we're doing this podcast episode all about careers and, and it is very exciting and we are young adults and the world is our oyster and we can do all sorts of crazy things with our life. But at the same time, it can just be so anxiety inducing, especially when you don't yet have any sort of stability. When you're about to graduate and so many parts of your life are just in flux, are just up in the air, it can be it can be rough. Um, and I'm just ranting. I don't have any actual useful advice to give. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, one thing I was thinking as you were saying that is just speaks to how difficult this this point of your life is and how difficult the job market is right now. I mean, tech and consulting are doing terribly. I don't know about other industries as much. And I think that's just a reminder of like realizing that like it's hard for everyone. Um and that is just something that I feel like we can all go through and commiserate over. And Abby, I can't imagine having that extra layer of international student. Um, I have friends that also have visa problems and it just seems like a pit of stress to deal with. Mm. I do also also think it's really important, you know, us all just having had a bit of a rant because I feel like the there's not really the kind of narrative of like how hard it is. I feel like we just see on LinkedIn um, our connections getting these amazing roles and that can feel very demoralizing when you're in that job search process. Um, and so I do actually think it's really important for everyone to know that, you know, it is hard and everyone struggles. And so you will eventually get a role. You know, I feel like if I had just heard people saying this like two, three years ago, um, that would have been so helpful to me, you know, to say like, it is really hard. Like everyone really struggles and it doesn't mean that you're not good enough and it doesn't mean you're not going to succeed. It just means you just have to push through and you'll get a role and then it'll be easier after that. You will be employed. You will be employed. You will not be unemployed forever. If someone had told me that, I'd be like, oh, thank goodness. Relax now. <laughs> I am such a LinkedIn hater because it's just another social media where you brag about your accomplishments, but people treat it like you have to have a LinkedIn to be a part of the job application process. And it's a little bit sad knowing some of my connections and seeing them post about the job or internship that they've gotten. And then actually knowing the full story because I have this one person who I'm connected with who recently posted about a job that she got. And I know that her dad is a like senator senator or something. So she already had this inside connection but 
people post the same way. And I'm sure that she has great qualities and that she got the job for a reason, but it was much easier for her to get the job than the next person. But you don't see that on LinkedIn because nobody's ever going to admit that they had that leg up. Yeah, you don't you don't see all the sorts of different legs up that people have in all sorts of different ways. Um, and it would be funny if everyone posted all their rejections on LinkedIn too. <laughs> like all the <laughs> offers would just get so lost in this huge tide of rejections. <laughs> no, interestingly, I actually saw, it was on my boyfriend's LinkedIn, like one of his connections, um, posted this whole kind of rant basically what we've been saying about you know how how hard the the grad job application process is and how many rejections had got and he was saying you know I know I'm a good candidate like I've got a good degree from a good university I've done xyz and I've still got like hundreds of rejections and he was just posting basically saying like I know I'm good it's hard like you're not alone and um my boyfriend was like oh like can't believe he posted that you know because it's um, it's, well, it's a very brave thing to post because I guess you don't want really, you know, recruiters or anyone looking at your LinkedIn and thinking, oh, he's been rejected loads of times. But actually, I saw it and I, I thought that's very brave of him to post. And I thought that's so well said because no one's saying it. And it is important to say because it is demoralizing and it is lonely, like being rejected. But actually, everyone's going through it. And it's a very, very normal thing. And I think normalizing and sharing that kind of experience is extremely valuable. All right. So I want to wrap up soon. I think this has been a really great conversation. Um, so thank you guys so much. Before we wrap up, does anyone have any thoughts to conclude with about just how having a job bears on your sense of adulthood? Do you think that this is what you need to be an adult or do you think there's still a lot more adulting to be done after you have a job? Do you have any thoughts on the subject? I'm going to say both. I think that like there's more adulting to be done after you get your job, but I do feel very much more confident in the fact that I'm graduating and like far more ready to face adulthood, right? Where I'm like fully out of school, fully independent because I have a job. Um, so I do feel like the fact that I know that I'll be able to like set aside enough money for rent and pay my security deposit and buy like a nice bed frame for my new apartment and, you know, like rent a u-haul to move my plants and books to my new apartment when i graduate like those things do make me feel far more ready to be an adult and face just like the logistical challenges that come with like you know having to be fully an adult um but i think that again like a job for me at least is always just part of my life even if i love my job it's one aspect of who i am and so i think that adulthood is not just about your work it's about finding who you are, who you are as a person being there for your friends being there with people you care about um figuring out who you are and, and what you can do and what you can achieve. And that's not just in the career sense. So I think it is just a first step. I think one thing that I uh, reflect on a lot that comforts me sometimes is that I know a lot of people from my hometown who have very fulfilling lives, even though they aren't employed at a top engineering or consulting firm, and they're very happy just working a barista job at Starbucks where they make enough money to live and adult in the way that they want to adult. <laughs> and I know that even if I don't end up at a prestigious job opportunity, I will be happy and fulfilled doing whatever I can just 
to survive. That was so inspirational. I feel like, what? Well, I can't really follow that. I feel like that's just like a mic drop moment. That is a beautiful ending, really. Well, I will just say what I was going to say. Um, I think, yeah, having a job really does make me feel like an adult. And I love it. Like, I love the structure and the routine and the kind of nine till five or, well, realistically, it's much longer than that. But um, I really enjoy it. And I do feel like I'm entering that kind of adult phase of my life. And I think it's funny because whilst on the one hand, I I have felt ready for that stage for a long time. You know, I've always um, been very career focused and really looked forward to it. And I feel very ready for it. On the other hand, I also still feel kind of like a, a teenager or a kid. And I think it's so funny because you would see me like um, dressed up all professionally on my commute. And but then people actually don't know that I still feel like I'm kind of a kid inside. <laughs> I feel like that's kind of a funny dichotomy about the you know on the one hand you have this um real kind of level of adulthood and then on the other hand I think to an extent you'll always feel like you're kind of a child inside I think um one unprecedented thing about adulthood is the level of admin like the admin never stops like (laughs) I've admin for work and then I get home I have admin in my personal life the admin I think really for me is what truly distinguishes adulthood (laughs) I cannot wait to graduate and maybe I will feel nostalgic later down the line, but I think I'm just so excited about the prospect of having a full-time job because I think that that is what's going to really make me feel in control of my life. Like I think, yes, I will still be existing within some sort of structure, but I think that something I really am excited about for adulthood is that I get to be closer to the truest version of myself. I'm closer to doing things that I want to do with my career and with my life and I'll dress how I want to dress and I'll interact with people that I want to interact with. And yes, I do love college and I love meeting people, but I I feel like I'm I'm just so ready to jump out into the world. And I think that having a career to jump onto is just it's just such an exciting idea to me. And I know that a lot of people don't feel this way. And I know people find um this you know being on the verge of graduation is something that's very scary um but I I'm excited I think that I do see myself as being a bit of a workaholic so um I've been that way as a student and I probably will be that way as an adult as a working adult um and people talk about work-life balance and I don't really want a work-life balance (laughs) which sounds kind of mad Um, but I just I, I'm just excited about just giving myself entirely to something that I'm very passionate about I don't think that will be my career in the next two next like 10 years I think I'll be trying to find my feet but someday I want to have a career that I am just excited to just devote myself entirely to um, and I'm excited to see the twists and turns in my career trajectory I love positive last words that's such an uplifting way end this I love it (laughs) Clara Madeline and Ainsley thank you so much for your thoughtful insights today 
Searching for a job is a challenging process and if you're going through it now I wish you the best of luck and hopefully you can find peace in the fact that you're not in this alone. As Clara mentioned, once you've jumped that first hurdle and landed your very first role, it does get easier from there. I also wanted to acknowledge that the experiences from our guests today do reflect a certain kind of background and trajectory that isn't everyone's experience of the job hunt and careers. If this episode really didn't resonate with you, do not fret. The episode coming out next will feature some fascinating guests who have really veered off the conventional route and carved a path for themselves that isn't the standard go to college, get a degree, land a job, ascend from there. That one will be out in two weeks. So I will see you then. And thank you so much for listening to today's episode of The Grown Ups Are Talking. (laughs) 